fake Chanel bags, Prada shoes, and 3M masks. We look at what's happening with these counterfeits as they flow into the U.S. from the world's top source of fake goods. A very old rule is getting exploited, and the U.S. market is taking the loss. The beneficiaries are mostly based in China. History may be repeating itself. Many are questioning China's COVID-19 death toll data from Shanghai, given the city's severe lockdown rules, just as Wuhan faced similar questions in 2020. Hollywood film Uncharted is facing trouble in the Philippines. The film is now banned in the country. But for the American audience, the issue might be too small to see. And for those watching the full episode, the first ever human infection case of H3N8 bird flu appears in China. Authorities say the virus has a low chance of human-to-human -human transmission. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Chenny Wu, in for Tiffany Meyer. A new report is shedding light on counterfeit goods coming from China. And some of your favorite brands and designer labels might be among the most often faked. Here's more. A new report says China remains the largest source of counterfeit goods. The country accounts for over 80 percent of the counterfeit products seized around the globe. That's according to a report from the U.S. Trade Representative. The annual report reviews intellectual property protection in America's trading partners around the world, as counterfeit goods can hurt the competitiveness of American businesses. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection has seized millions of dollars' worth of counterfeit goods from China. Among the targets is 3M, an American company that makes personal protective equipment and consumer goods. Last year, American officers seized over 100,000 counterfeit 3M face masks from China. And it's not just masks. In 2019, officers at the Los Angeles Long Beach seaport seized over $2 million worth of fake Nike shoes. Designer products are among the most common targets for counterfeiters, like fake Louis Vuitton sandals, Chanel and Gucci bags, and Prada shoes. These fake designer goods from China arrive in the U.S. by the tens of thousands. Los Angeles alone last year caught over $80 million worth of fake designer products. The U.S. has put China on a priority watch list and says it will continue monitoring the situation there. Counterfeit products aren't the only issue U.S. borders authorities are facing from China. An old rule is also being exploited. When you come back from vacation with things like a new phone or even a bobblehead, you can bring it tax-free. But some foreign companies misuse that policy to avoid paying tax. Most of them are based in China. NTD's Fay Quarter tells us more about what's happening. Companies are dodging billions of dollars in tariffs by using a rule intended for tourists and their souvenirs. It's called the de minimis rule, and it's supposed to exclude American tourists coming back from their travels from paying duties on souvenirs. If you're an importer bringing in merchandise and you claim that your uh, shipment is worth less than $800, then it's free from inspection by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. It doesn't get assessed uh, duties or tariffs. Nick Icavella is a senior vice president for communications at Coalition for a Prosperous America. Icavella says there's been an explosion of goods coming in under de minimis. It's what kind of goods are coming in. Where are they coming from? 
China accounts for 83% of all intellectual property seizures by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency. They're sending a ton of goods to the United States under the de minimis. So they're exploiting this loophole. Souvenirs were originally such a small portion of imports that nobody cared. But now they've soared from an estimated 40 million in 2012 to over 67 billion in 2020. The CBP has no ability to police this number of packages coming in every day. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the capability. Over a tenth of Chinese imports fall under the de minimis category, up from under 1% 10 years ago. Faye Quarter, NTD News. Shanghai's official infection rates are raising questions. Many have said they don't feel the numbers are trustworthy, citing Chinese authorities' cover-up in Wuhan. Shanghai is in the midst of a severe outbreak of the CCP, or Chinese Communist Party virus, which causes COVID-19. The lockdown city's infection rates are leading some to question China's official data, especially because Shanghai's reported death toll remains far lower than other regions. The current outbreak started in early March. The city reported no virus-related deaths for over a month after it began. As of now, the city of 26 million people has reported nearly 300 COVID-19-related deaths. By comparison, Hong Kong is under partial lockdown and recorded more than 9,000 deaths since February. That's out of its 7.4 million residents. Those numbers reflect a death rate 100 times higher than Shanghai's. Chinese authorities say it's due to the draconian lockdown measures imposed on Shanghai, which they say have stemmed deaths but there's no scientific research to support that. There are other reasons some have questioned Shanghai's rates too. A funeral home worker there spoke to local media, revealing that the faculty is cremating twice the number of remains this year compared to last, and its workforce has been in overdrive as a result. The worker explained that since the beginning of April, all funeral home staff have had to stay on site to run the cremation furnaces until midnight. That report appears to have been quickly censored inside China. What's more, some experts suggest another reason for Shanghai's low death count. They say it's part of the Chinese regime's history of underreporting and covering up death rates to preserve its reputation. That issue has been observed in Wuhan since the end of 2019. It's most clearly seen by taking a closer look at Wuhan's quarterly civil affairs statistic report, the regularly published document was halted in the fourth quarter of 2019. The report normally details the city's demographic distributions, including the numbers of human remains cremated during its reporting period. In response to people's inquiries about the pause, authorities said it wasn't convenient to publish at that time. As of March 2020, the official CCP virus death toll in Wuhan was announced as a little less than 2,600. But the city's logistics didn't match that number. There are seven large funeral homes in Wuhan, starting late March. All seven started giving away urns to relatives of the deceased, totaling 500 urns per funeral home per day. That lasted for at least 12 days, meaning the homes must have given out 42,000 urns combined. Another piece of evidence came from the funeral home's soaring workload. One worker in Wuhan told the Epoch Times that since January 28, 90% of the funeral home's employees are working 24-7, adding that they couldn't go back home. Based on the city's crematorium capacity, it's estimated that around 47,000 people died from the CCP virus within a 30-day span. 
but up until April, the official death toll for the year stood at just under 4,000. An even larger death toll estimate came from China's three major cell phone carriers. According to the reports, the country's three biggest cell phone service carriers lost over 21 million users in the first two months of the year 2020. No explanation has been given. Those details echo a message shared by blogger Fang Fang, a Wuhan resident who was silenced by the authorities for writing about the pandemic. She once posted a picture with a caption reading, cell phones scattered on the floor of a funeral home and their owners have been turned to ash. The recent Hollywood movie Uncharted is causing geopolitical tension. The film starring Tom Holland is banned in the Philippines. The movie showed a disputed map of the South China Sea, favoring the Chinese Communist Party. NTD's Don Ma has the details. So what happened? In the movie, there's a two-second scene that echoes Beijing's territorial claims in the South China Sea. Here's the scene. What you just saw is China's nine-dash line in the South China Sea. The series of lines encompasses 90% of the area, and China claims everything inside the lines is their territory. But the Philippines say the map encroaches on their territory, so they are banning the movie. Movie producer Chris Fenton says the film should have just avoided showing it. I mean, why even have that map on camera? Uh, why even allude to it? Um, it's something that could easily have been reframed and uh, reframed in some other sort of dialogue or uh, choice of visuals um, to essentially make the same exact plot point. Despite Beijing's claims, the international tribunal ruled in 2016 that China's nine-dash line has no legal basis. Countries like the U.S., Vietnam, and Malaysia also dispute China's claims. For Fenton, there is little benefit for the movie to include such a controversial map. I don't see what the upside would be. I don't think it would have translated to bigger box office in China. In fact, the movie itself didn't perform all that well in China. So I don't see what the end game was in regards to doing it purposely. The Philippines Foreign Ministry says the scene infringes on their national interest and has pulled the movie from theaters. The controversial map may or may not have been included on purpose in the movie to please Beijing for the Chinese movie market. But this idea of pleasing China is not unheard of in Hollywood. An upcoming major Hollywood blockbuster, Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise, is an example. And in that Top Gun film, Taiwan, the flag of Taiwan on the flight jacket of Tom Cruise has been erased from the film. The Chinese government did not want Taiwan seen in that kind of light around the world in a major box office um, film like Top Gun. And Paramount, the studio, relented and essentially took it out of the shot. The reason why Hollywood studios do these things is for the Chinese movie market. But Fenton tells me what suffers is creative freedom. Though he says capitalism and freedom of expression can coexist, and he would like to see that in Hollywood. Don Ma, NTD News. The Women's Tennis Association is announcing that it won't return to China this year. The organization says it's still working on a resolution with the country after the controversy involving retired pro tennis player Peng Shuai. Peng Shuai is the former world's number one in women's tennis doubles. She went missing last year after sharing a controversial post on Chinese social media platform Weibo. In it, she accused former Chinese vice premier Zhang Guoli of sex assault. 
Her post was promptly removed, and she disappeared from the public eye for nearly three weeks. Her subsequent reappearances were accompanied by Chinese officials. Peng's well-being has since become a global concern, although the Chinese regime says the athlete is fine. In response to those fears, the Women's Tennis Association, or WTA, suspended all tournaments in China the month after her post and called for a transparent investigation into Peng's case. Peng later denied that she had accused anyone of sexual assault, adding that she herself had deleted the social media post. But the WTA continued to demand a thorough investigation into Peng's allegations and requested an opportunity to meet with her privately. WTA Tour Chief Steve Simon said the organization would stay resolute, though he voiced hope to return to the country in 2023 and for a resolution that the WTA, Peng, and Beijing are, quote, comfortable with. Chinese state media outlets took aim at the WTA on Twitter after it banned its tournaments in China, describing the association as putting on an exaggerated show and attacking the Chinese system. But Simon says the WTA won't walk away from the issue and must create change. On Tuesday, we aired a story about Chinese firms receiving millions of dollars in U.S. subsidies. We mentioned companies like Motorola and General Electric. Here's a bit of clarity on China's relationship with these companies. Motorola has two divisions, Motorola Solutions and Motorola Mobility. In 2012, Google purchased Motorola Mobility for $12.5 billion. Then in 2014, it was sold to the Chinese computer company Lenovo for $2.9 billion. As for General Electric, it's an American company. But in 2016, a subsidiary of the firm called General Electric Appliances was sold to Chinese company Hire for $5.4 billion. Coming up, hundreds of millions of people are being put under full or partial lockdown in China. They're struggling for their livelihood, and an expert says it stirs the memory of the communist planned economy. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Chenny Wu. China's commuter workers are struggling to make ends meet. Beijing's zero-COVID policy is severely restricting travel between cities and provinces. Here's the story. For Chinese commuter workers on the outskirts of Beijing, waking up in the early mornings to travel miles away for work has gotten even tougher than before. I cannot go back home. If you go back home, you'll be quarantined. 62-year-old Lao Yuan and many others like him rely on ease of travel to make a living. But China's strict zero-COVID policy has upended their lives completely. Analysts at Nomura estimate nearly 350 million people in China are currently facing some form of lockdown, and movement between cities and provinces has been severely restricted. Some workers haven't been able to go home, while others have struggled to find any work at all. During the pandemic, there are very few jobs. It's hard to earn money. We don't earn enough, and the city police chase us away. The pandemic situation changes quite fast. For example, yesterday, Beijing was not rated as high risk. But in the morning, when you wake up, the city has a star labeled next to it on the tracing app. 
The government should give preferential treatment to those who work, the migrant workers. Not only do they not give preferential treatment, they oppress us. Towns like Yanjiao have seen explosive growth over the past decade, as hundreds of thousands of residents commuted to and from nearby Beijing on a daily basis before COVID. But now, many face difficult requirements just to earn a commuter pass, allowing them to step foot inside the city. For the commuter pass, you'll need proof of employment, a 48-hour COVID-19 test result, proof of residency and such. Now, people are saying it's not being issued anymore. Beijing has started stepping up entry checks and locking down some public spaces, as it announced plans to test nearly all of its 22 million residents for COVID this week. Hundreds of millions of migrant workers live in China's major cities, drawn by greater job opportunities. But their actual homes and household registration papers mean, legally, they still live in rural regions. That means they don't benefit from the health care or pension insurance systems provided in major cities, and that their children aren't allowed to attend public schools there. Most of those children have to stay behind in their hometowns, often living with their grandparents. As a result, migrant workers are frequently seen as second-class citizens. Since Shanghai went under lockdown, the flow of food and supplies has fallen under authorities' control. Because of that shift, residents have all of a sudden found themselves with limited options for food brands and other goods. Many of them say the situation feels like a return to the old days, an era starting in 1950s China. China's economy functions as a gigantic machine. To keep it humming, the country's 150 million registered businesses provide food, jobs and necessities to its 1.4 billion consumers. But since China's largest metropolis, Shanghai, went under lockdown to stem virus spread, the city's government has taken on those tasks instead. Authorities are now uniformly tasked with distributing food and supplies to residents stuck at home. But this kind of market meddling is stirring up memories for those in China who are old enough to remember. Well, we are seeing the nightmare of old-style, Soviet-style, you know, planned economy. According to She, the lockdown structure in Shanghai shows strong elements of a centrally planned economy. In that model, the government controls the business activity in the market, rather than letting the market self-regulate supply and demand. It's causing a familiar situation, at least for Chinese citizens of a certain age. It features issues like limited supplies and the rise of black markets and carries a feeling of deja vu from an era in China's past that started in the 1950s. In those days, the Chinese regime set wage levels and rationed consumer goods. Chinese people living at the time did not have much choice in what foods they bought either, and meat was a rare commodity. This highly centralized, non-market Soviet-style system was introduced into a largely impoverished and still developing Chinese economy. But Professor Xie says those old nightmares are becoming a reality once again for Shanghai residents living under lockdown. In some sealed-off areas, residents aren't even allowed to purchase diapers, baby formula, or toilet paper because they're not considered necessities. Elsewhere, fruit, beer, and coffee are considered frivolous items. And far worse... They're, they're starting to... You know, they have you know, very little choice as to the kind of food they can get. You know, the food, the, the food rationing, every household can receive like maybe a, a two carrots, you know, one cabbage and two tomatoes. There's a lack of logistics with the government's system. Uh, 
is not in place. They don't even have a system in place. Local virus restrictions make it difficult for trucks to deliver food and household goods to the city. What's more, special passes are required for those driving inside Shanghai. Some truck drivers and operators are paying thousands of dollars for day passes that allow them to drive on the city's roads. That extra cost is then priced into the groceries they sell to residents. Driven by these logistics, black markets are mushrooming in the city. Professor Shi warns if the planned economy trend continues in Shanghai, there will be serious consequences. Back in the 50s, the centrally planned model subjected almost all of Chinese society to poverty. The salaries of people at all levels are you know, squeezed to the minimum. There's no disposable income, discretionary income. There's, then there's no, no prosperity. And uh, everybody's poor, really everyone is poor, and uh, the government is rich. Unlike the past, he explains that people in today's Shanghai aren't poor yet. But he says one thing is for sure, their lifestyles and living standards will be dramatically lowered by lockdown measures, something that may already be happening. China has reported what appears to be the world's first known human case of H3N8 bird flu. China's health commission said the infected person was a four-year-old boy. He was hospitalized on April 10th in Hunan province. His close contacts didn't show any abnormalities while being monitored for infection. H3N8 bird flu is also known to infect mammals, including horses, seals, and dogs. The CDC says it's one of two strains that cause dog flu in the United States. Chinese authorities explained that the virus has a low chance of human-to-human transmission. But one virologist warned that despite its rarity, infection in humans could lead to mutations, making the virus more infectious. The security pact between Beijing and the Solomon Islands is stirring up nerves in the Pacific. Many now question the possibility of military confrontations with the U.S. if the Chinese regime puts its ambitions into action. Beijing is taking aim at Australia. China's foreign ministry criticized the nation on Wednesday over recent remarks about China's new security pact with the Solomon Islands. Beijing said Canberra's comments express political self-interests. That's after Sunday when Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison warned China not to cross what he called a red line. Morrison said a Chinese decision to build a military base in the Solomon Islands would mark a red line for Australia. Beijing has insisted the security pact will only help the Solomon Islands maintain social order. But Morrison stated that Australia will not have Chinese naval bases on its doorstep. I shared the same red line that the United States has when it comes to these issues. Morrison wouldn't say how he would respond if China crossed that red line by establishing a military base. He only said the Solomon Islands prime minister assured him that wouldn't happen. In response, the Solomon Islands prime minister criticized Australia for its strong reaction and accused the country of upholding a double standard. He described Canberra's AUKUS security pact as lacking transparency, but stated the Solomon Islands didn't respond the same way Australia did to the Solomon deal with China. That's even though AUKUS impacts the entire Pacific region. On the other side of the region, the U.S. says it won't rule out military action if China builds military bases in the Solomon Islands. The remark came from one of the region's most senior American diplomats, Ambassador Daniel Crittenbrink, as part of a high-level U.S. delegation to the Pacific country last week. He made the comment during a 90-minute meeting with the Solomon Islands Prime Minister. 
That meeting also included the U.S. National Security Council coordinator for Indo-Pacific Affairs, Kurt Campbell. To end today's episode, a survey shows global military spending hit a record in 2021. For the first time, world military expenditure passed $2 trillion, with the U.S. at the top of the big spenders list. China and India follow closely behind. United States military spending mainly focuses on military research and development. Next on the list, China's 2021 military spending grew nearly 5% compared with the year before. That jump falls in line with Beijing's long-term approach, as the Chinese regime has boosted military funds for 27 consecutive years. Also boosting defense spending, Japan. The Japanese government increased those funds by over 7 percent, its highest annual increase since 1972, to counter the Chinese Communist Party's threats. Australia's military spending rose, too, for the same reason, by 4 percent in 2021. In Europe, the three largest military spenders remain the UK, France and Germany. While over in Russia, military spending grew for the third consecutive year. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Chenny Wu. If you have any feedback on the show or have anything you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. Have a nice weekend. Every once in a while, something comes along so masterful, it leaves you in awe. So inspiring, it changes your life. So beautiful, you wish it would never end. When that happens, it's something not to be missed. Shen Yun, an all-new production every year. performance was enchanting. I feel better about the world. I feel uplifted. It touches you. It really does. The expertise of the dancers was really, really strong. To know that it was live music was really fantastic. We didn't want to miss this. Make sure you see it. Have to come. Life-changing.